I wonder if you turn with me to the book of 2 Peter, please. And chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. want to read a few verses to you from 2 Peter chapter 1, please. Two Peter chapter one, verse one, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you, and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off. And hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them, and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put up Put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. And then on to 2 Corinthians, please. Back to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And let's again read from verse 3. Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you, Lord, is not weak, but is mighty in you, for though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves. Whether ye be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not 
your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Let's have a further word of prayer, shall we? Dear Lord, we want to thank you for the inerrancy of your word. We want to thank you that it is truth, it is life, it is light, and it is revelation. Lord, we want to thank you that this is not simply an ordinary book, but the living word of God. And we want to pray that you would break the bread of life to us. We need you to do it, Lord. No man can do it of himself. Lord, we can outline truths, but we need you to give the revelation. We need you to give the anointing. Lord from heaven, please, for the sake of all the Lord Jesus went through, for his sake, would you be pleased to anoint the speaking of your word? Would you give faith for the speaking of your word? Would you give the testimony to the preacher? I believe, therefore I spoke. And would you give the testimony to the hearers that the word was mixed with faith with those who heard it? Oh God, we need you for everything. How feeble, how weak we are, how vulnerable we are, how pathetic we are without you. Lord, Lord, deliver us from any form of self-confidence. Deliver us from it all. Our reliance must be upon you. We don't want to put our trust in princes, but upon you, Lord. Oh, Father, we want to come to you today, and we ask that we might be able to sit at your feet, Lord, and hear your word, and that you would speak into our hearts. Lord, there is an urgency about the day we live in. We realize we can't waste time, Lord. Deliver us from just speaking a sermon because we need to speak a sermon. Oh, God, we pray, please, Lord, would you give the word of God to your people. Lord, govern the direction of my heart. Keep me in line with you, Lord. Deliver me from going off track. Help us, Lord, to know what is the anointing of God, the provision for the word this morning. We ask for your help and for your enabling to be sensitive to your leading. Lord, we ask, please, may your anointing be upon my speaking and all our hearing. And we pray that we might diligently respond to anything that you place in our hearts as we hear the word. Oh, Lord, We acknowledge our sin. We acknowledge our slowness to believe all that the scriptures have said. We acknowledge, Lord, there's been times when you've come by us and we've passed you by, as it were, not sensitive to the leading and prompting of the Spirit of God. We acknowledge our sin before you, our failings of this past week, dear Lord. And we want to say, Lord, we thank you for the precious blood of your Son, through which we may know forgiveness of sins. We want to plead our trespass offering, the Lord Jesus, Lord, for those sins that we've committed unwittingly. And Lord, for anything that we've done that is beneath you and not of you, we ask for your cleansing of our hearts, that we might come to you, Lord, and hear you afresh this morning. Lord, help us, we pray. Soften our hearts, Lord. And Lord, give us a quickness in our spirits and a readiness of mind to receive from you. And we will give you all the praise and the glory in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Last week, when um, I was, uh, last time I was sharing, I mentioned to you about this matter of evidences that we've actually been born again of the Spirit of God. And the, the week before that, we were looking at the nature of the new birth. 
And I trust in just some small way even, we've made steps towards seeing the new birth is something so much more than we often make it out to be within church life today. That it's not simply a decision that we make and therefore we're automatically through to the other side. No, no, the new birth is when the law gets hold of us. And when by his spirit he brings that conviction of sin and we repent of our sin and we know the Lord coming in, we're born again of his spirit. One of the great evidences of the new birth is that we cry out, Abba, Father, you know? And uh, the Lord is no longer considered just God to us. So many people use this term, God this, God that, God the other. I know we say God, but it just in the tone of the voice, you sense that they're so far off from him. But if you have people that say, I spoke to my father this morning in heaven. You can see there's a nearness there, isn't there? You realize the Lord is much more than just a, a, a great God afar off, but actually he's become your father. You've received the spirit of adoption. By which you cry out, Abba, Father. Now, dear friends, this is what we've come into. But you know, what we have lost sight of in the church, it's not enough even for me to say, well, I ask the Lord into my life, therefore I'm a Christian. The question is not primarily, has the, have I accepted the Lord? You often hear this. You often hear this statement. People say, have you accepted the Lord? And of course, there's a measure of truth in it. We are to accept the Lord. But the more important question is this. Has the Lord accepted you? That's the key. It's not whether I've accepted the Lord. Has the Lord accepted you? Do you know for sure that you are the Lord's? That you're born again of the Spirit? That you have an assurance in your heart that you're on the way to heaven? This is the most important question about your soul. And if you consider this to be something extreme, let me remind you, dear friends, that this is about eternity. This concerns where you're going to live for all eternity, whether you're ultimately going to be in the presence of God forever or ultimately abandoned from the presence of God in hell forever. Can there be a more important question regarding your soul where you stand with Jesus Christ? I think not. I think there's not a more important issue concerning my life and your life as to where we stand with Jesus Christ. Whether we're born again of the Spirit of God or whether we're those that think we are but have a form of religion but deny its power. Have a form of Christianity. I was very interested the way that Chrissy mentioned this morning that she thought she was on the way to heaven but didn't realize she wasn't. That is the most dangerous place to be in. It's a matter of thank God that the Lord rescued Chrissy from such a state of deception. But that's the case for so many people. We think because we come to church, because we have an outward form of religion and show, that somehow we are the Lord's. No way! Dear friends, the scriptures make it very clear that there are evidences to prove whether we really have been born again of the Spirit of God or not. And it would be foolish for me if you come up to me and you say, Brother John, I think I'm saved. That means I'm all right, doesn't it? I'm never going to tell you whether you're saved or not before you know it. Never. You need to know for yourself. You need that assurance in your heart. I'm not the judge of where you stand with Jesus Christ. But you and I need to get before God and ask the Lord, Lord, where do I stand with you? Am I born again of the Spirit of God? You say, well, this, is, this leads to a morbid form of introspection. I believe it leads to an important form of introspection that ultimately could lead to life. 
I don't think it's a bad thing at all. In fact, you remember the second scripture that I mentioned tells us to do this. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5 says, examine yourselves. Friends, when was the last time we examined ourselves as to whether we really be in the faith or not? Examination. Am I walking according to the law of the spirit of life? Am I living Christ-like life? in my attitudes, in my conduct, in the way I think of people, in the way I act towards people? Is my life displaying the Lord Jesus? Am I overcoming sin? Have I a love for the Word of God? Have I a love for the Lord Jesus? Am I praying? Am I obeying the commandments of God? It's all evidences in the Word of God that you're born again of the Spirit of God. But are these things operative? Or is there a form, an outward shell of these things, a kind of ascent into these things, but they've never really been worked inward? Remember, the glory, dear friends, of the new covenant is that it's inward. Before in the old covenant, the law was written on stone, but now it's written on our hearts. This is the glory of the new covenant. It's no longer, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do this commandment of God. And it's irksome and it's burdensome to me. No, sir, when one becomes born again of the Spirit of God, you have a new nature and new desires. And suddenly you find that you want to do the things that God says in his word. Praise the Lord. That doesn't mean you don't have your old nature that rears its ugly head. Of course it does from time and time again. But the point room, the, there's a change in attitude and position. You no longer want to go and be a hooligan or a thug anymore. You no longer want to just mix with friends that constantly swear and mock about the things of God. You can't stand their conversation anymore. Something's changed in your heart. You're a new creation. You want to be with the people of God. You don't want to be with those that mock and scorn the things of God anymore. You're a new creation in Christ. The old has passed away. Everything has become new. Friends, this is the glory of the new covenant. And oh, what a shame it is to us who preach a kind of Christianity that gives the impression that you can be in the door and it's no problem just as long as you say yes to Jesus. That's not Christianity. Christianity is when God, by his spirit, gets into me and I become a new creature. And I have power over sin in my life. Power that I never possessed before I was born again. The ability not to sin. That's the new covenant. That's the new covenant. I want to ask you, are you experiencing that? You say, I'm not perfect yet. I didn't ask you that. I said simply, are you experiencing a measure of victory over sin in your life? This is one of the sure evidences that you've been born again of the Spirit of God. There has been the ability to turn from iniquity. Once you used to watch filthy programs, now you have nothing to do with it. Once you used to have a perverse mouth, but now it's pure and it's holy. Once you used to, in a sense, argue with people all the time, but now that sort of argumentative spirit is losing its authority over you. Yes, we are a work in progress, but there must be progress. There must be evidence. I must be different. I must be changed. Oh, friends, this is something that we've lost the importance of within the church to our detriment because it means we have a form of congregation, ultimately, that will come into the house of God and think they're saved when they're not. Oh, friends, I'd rather you be offended with me and really angry with me and find out that you're not saved and get right with God than find me speaking nice things to you and just quieting your conscience into hell. What kind of a pastor would do such a thing? He would be a false shepherd. Dear friends, what we need to do is speak the truth. 
This is a matter of urgency. You say, oh, this is all very intense. I don't like this kind of preaching. But it's the word of God. You'll like it in the end if you just take it. Sometimes medicine doesn't taste good, but boy, doesn't it do you good. We need the medicine of the word. I was quite impressed by something that um, one of the great Puritans wrote, Matthew Henry. He was, one of, he was probably the last of the great Puritans of that original era. And he said this concerning uh, the inquiry over our souls to do with salvation. And I quote, he said this, It requires a great deal of diligence and labor to make sure our calling and election. There must be a very close examination of ourselves, a very narrow search and strict inquiry whether we are thoroughly converted, our minds enlightened, our wills renewed, and our whole souls changed as to the bent and inclination thereof. And to come to a fixed certainty in this requires the utmost diligence and cannot be attained and kept without divine assistance." That's Matthew Henry. That's the Puritans. That was their position, but they were sticking with the word of God, weren't they? Now, dear friends, shouldn't we be the same as this? Don't worry that people treat Christianity lightly. Don't let that fool you into a loose Christianity. (laughs) Why the spirit of the age is no governance over the condition of your soul, is it? You don't think, well, because other churches are like this, therefore it's okay for me to be like this. It doesn't matter what church says. Dear friends, all that should concern your soul is what it says in this book. You're not going to stand before the Lord and say, well, my church said this, Lord. You won't dare say anything like that. God will judge you according to the measure of what the Scriptures say. And I plead with you to marry up what I'm saying with what the Scriptures say. And if you find anything in what I say contrary to what the Scriptures say, then you do well to leave it aside or to come up to me and tell me and do me a big favor. Because we need to live our lives according to the plumb line of the Word of God. You see, if we have man's opinions rule in the pulpit, all we have is the cleverness and impressions of men. Don't simply take in what preachers say. Examine what they say. There's a form of cheap grace that has come into the church of God that should send a shiver down our spines. (laughs) The kind of teaching which preaches this. You're under grace. You're not under law. You can live how you like. Have you heard this? I have. I've heard this. It doesn't matter about the way you're living. And the moment you start saying anything to do with having to live a kind of conduct and code of conduct and reality of living, the moment you start talking about you have to live a certain way if you're going to be a Christian, you are charged with being a legalist. Haven't you found that? People said, you know, it was Leonard Ravenhill who once said, when people don't like things they find in the word of God, they call it legalism. (laughs) It's very, very true. But when we come to the word of God, let the word rule your heart. Don't try and squeeze it into what your natural heart wants to want to make it say. Read it as it is, untouched, unhindered. Let the word of God be your judge. Let the word of God read you even more than you read it. Do you see what I mean? Or don't even like using the word it. But this is the most important thing. Allow the word of God to get in and penetrate very well. Let us look then at 2 Peter chapter 1. And I want to start from where I finished off last week. 2 Peter chapter 1. And I want to mention that verse 10 again. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling 
and election sure. Diligence is a key word in this first chapter of the letter to to these saints that Peter's writing to. Diligence. He says it in verse 5. Giving all diligence. And he talks in verse 12 about not neglecting things, which is the opposite to diligence. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence. What unto? What unto? Dear friends, you and I are to give diligence to make our calling and election sure. Now, we mentioned this verse last week, but let me remind you. As Peter reminded the saints more than once, I'm in good stead in doing the same. What Peter's saying is here, has God called you? Has God called you? Have you heard the call of God upon your life? Has he called you out of darkness into his glorious light? Do you know what it is to be a cord of God? You know, last uh, yesterday we were at Petersfield and we were speaking uh, there about the fact that Samuel heard the Lord's voice audibly, so, so clearly that he thought Eli was actually speaking to him when it was the Lord. And when you and I were born again of the Spirit, didn't the Lord come to us and he said, follow me, follow me, come out of your sin. That's the calling of God. The election side of the matter speaks of his choosing of us, his coming to us, and you're his special possession by the grace of God, if you're born again of the Spirit. Isn't it a wonderful thing that we were singing this morning? You know, it's not that we first love the Lord. It's not that we first decided, I'm going to set my love on God. And the Lord saw us, set our love on him, and then he came to us and said, right, I'll save him, I'll save her. They love me. No, 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 it's not what the word of God says. The word of God says that we love him because he first loved us. He first loved you. He came to you first. You didn't come to him. You didn't come to him. You didn't find Jesus because Jesus wasn't lost. (laughs) it was you that was lost in your trespasses and sins and it was me that was lost in my trespasses and sins and the Lord came to us and he chose us and we're in this glorious election of God by the grace of God praise the Lord aren't you pleased about that it should make you glad that God has decided to set his love on you he knew exactly what he was doing when he did it and by his grace we know him and you know it's a marvelous verse isn't it in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 that God has chosen us that we might be holy and without blame before him in love chosen by God made to sit with Christ in heavenly places and blessed with every spiritual blessing in that locality amazing amazing grace of God But dear friends, let me come back to this matter of verse 10. This election of God, God has elected. Well, now, you may say to me, John, I know I'm called of God. You may say to me, I know I'm elect of God. I know I'm chosen of God. You remember the Lord Jesus said, by the way, to just go back to something I previously said. He said, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That's what the Word of God says, doesn't it? Everything remains when it's the fruit of the Lord, when we abide in Him. So, dear friends, do you have that calling of God on your life? Are you saying you're elect of God? Then I would beseech of you on the authority of Scripture, make it sure, won't you? Don't risk it. Don't start, in a sense, gambling upon it. 
Make your calling and election sure. You say, well, how do we to do that? Well, in this particular passage, we find that Peter gives us practical ways whereby we can know our calling and election for sure. Now, God knows it for sure, doesn't he? Because he knows everything. But how are you going to know for sure? How am I going to know for sure concerning our walk with God that we have this life in us? Well, it goes back to verse 5. And when Peter is saying in verse 10 about giving diligence to make your calling and election sure, he's referring back to the seven particular qualities he mentions in verse 5 through 7 as a test, if you like, as a means of showing that we really have come through to the new birth and are walking with God. So let's have a look at them together. Look again from verse 3, please, so we can have a good run in. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Now, friends, if that statement doesn't encourage you, I don't know what will. Listen to it again. His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, if you're to become a godly person, if you're to become a person who is truly virtuous, living rightly, um, knowing the life of the Lord, coming into all that's of God, the divine power is given to do so. You're not meant to try to accomplish the Christian life of your own flesh and your own strength. Remember, we looked last week at the book of Philippians where the scriptures clearly show us that God worketh in both to will and to do. And we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But God worketh in both to will and to do. It's the power of God in you that enables you to become like the Lord Jesus. It's not your efforts of your flesh. It's not your self-effort and, and strength and ability. No, 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 no. We can never of ourselves become like Jesus. We're all flawed. We're all, the law of God has found us all out, sold under sin. We're full of sin and iniquity. We need the life of God to come in us so that we can become like the Lord Jesus. And that's, as I said before, the good news. The Lord comes in and he's given to us the power to become Good people, and I don't mean good by the standard of this world, but I mean good according to the nature and likeness of the Lord Jesus. Just read the Sermon on the Mount. Just read Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. You'll find the kind of life that the Lord wants us to come into. And it's impossible to live that kind of way in the flesh. But we thank God that there is a power at work in us that enables us to climb and scale heights that we could have never done in our flesh by means of faith in his life, his power in us. <clears throat> then we go on to read this particular statement, verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Do you know the promises of God? They have been given unto you in the Lord Jesus. They've been given unto you for you to come into by the power of God. That by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. There we have it having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Or we've been given an escape from the domination of this world over our lives and the spirit that governs the lives of those that are in darkness. Then we read verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, or having brought in, 
giving all diligence, add to your faith, supplement your faith, add this to what God is doing in you, add these things in. Now you say, well, how are we to do it? I thought God is meant to do it. But you see, God works in both to will and to do, but we are to work out what God works in. The Lord initiates everything. He gives you the power of the life, but he wants us to cooperate with him, doesn't he? In us becoming like him. We're not robotic figures, are we? That somehow the Lord presses a button and suddenly we become virtuous. Then he presses another button and suddenly we become those uh, who uh, have knowledge. Not so. There needs to be diligence on our part. You say, what is that for? Well, I've already told you before. It's to make your calling an election sure. And this is what we need with this particular, um, what we find with these verses. This is how we do it. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Virtue is the first word that's mentioned here. And I want to put you to put your seatbelts on with me. And we'll go through these seven particular qualities together. And we will see... Uh, these particular characteristics, what these words mean in the, in, in the scripture, and then ask the Lord to help you to examine yourself. Are these qualities at work in my life? Not in the person next to you, not in your husband or your wife, not in your best friend, or even more so your worst enemy. Ask yourself. The scriptures doesn't say examine one another to see whether the person next to you is in the faith. You imagine what would happen if we did that. It simply says, examine yourself. Make your calling and election sure. Add these seven qualities. Let them come through by means of faith into your experience. Well, here we have the first one, virtue. Now, the word virtue from the Greek means excellences. Intrinsic eminence, moral goodness, virtue. In other words, what is honest, just, pure, lovely, good. Do you remember what it says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8? Whatever is, finally brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things... Whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, same word, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Dear friends, the Lord wants to work into us, into our lives, moral excellence. That's why Christians never cheat. Oh, it's all gone quiet. Yes, when you say these challenging words, you don't get many amens, you know. I'm not looking for amens. I'd rather teach the word of God. But the thing is that these are the things that search us out, aren't they? Oh, I'm a moral person. I don't do, I don't cheat on my husband. I don't cheat on my wife. I do this. I'm living the right way. Well, what is moral? It has to go way beyond that, doesn't it? Think of the moral standing that the Lord requires in the book of Matthew chapter 5 again, the Sermon on the Mount. If I lust in my heart, that's the standard. It's not whether have I committed immorality, it's whether I've lusted in my heart, because if I've done it in my heart, deliberately, I'm doing it against God. 
I'm sinning. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, secondly, we must remember that moral excellence is to do with our code of conduct, how we treat one another as well. Within the body of Christ, within generally, how we treat our neighbor. We're to treat our neighbor as ourselves. We're not to cheat on one another. We're to love one another. And don't we all fail in this particular area, dear friends, when it comes to the practicals? The book of James is so practical. You read through that and it finds you out left, right and center, doesn't it? (laughs) It does me. But brothers and sisters, try and think. Ask the Lord, what area of morality is lacking in my life? What is the opposite to moral? It's immoral. Is there anything? Let's let's turn this particular uh, uh, list that's mentioned in Philippians 4 the other way around. What is untrue? What is not honest? What is unjust? What is impure? What is ugly? What is of bad report? These are all things that are not moral. They're not virtuous. Are there things we watch that are not virtuous, that are not excellent, that are not helpful? Are there people we listen to who love to gossip? You know what I mean. Are there people we just love to watch who who will tell a tale on somebody else? How is our conduct, how is our attitude one towards another, brothers and sisters? Are we virtuous believers? This is one of the indications that we've been born again of the Spirit of God. In fact, dear friends, if somebody is born again of the Spirit and they're living an immoral lifestyle, you will find if they're born again of the Spirit, it won't be long before that immoral immoral practice is dealt with or they're, they're really turning from it. And these days, it's going to cost people a lot to get out of immoral relationships when they come to Christ because the other spouse won't understand it. There was times years and years ago when you had a general sense that, for example, divorce was wrong or it wasn't considered a good thing. But these days, it just doesn't matter, you know, just backwards. Dear brothers and sisters, let us consider What is virtuous? What is right? What is pure? Think on these things. Why does Paul say think on these things? Because as your mind is renewed, so is your heart. What you put into your mind will affect your heart. What you dwell upon, what you meditate upon, what you consider in your thinking. As a man thinks, so he is. And every one of us has had thoughts this week that are contrary to the word of God, haven't we? And it's this kind of thing the Lord's wanting to root out of our lives and deal with. And by faith, we can come into our minds being purged of these things. Wrong attitudes in our thinking towards one another. And you know, it's amazing how much trouble is caused by you imagining something about somebody else that you don't know for sure. If you feed on that thought, which is by definition, you don't know if it's true. And you feed on that thought, you can begin in the end to have a bitterness in your heart over something that you don't know is true. Now, isn't that true? Be careful how you think. This is all to do with moral code of conduct, isn't it? Well, dear friends, let's go on. What about... Actually, let me turn you to Matthew chapter 5. Here's an example of how our conduct is to be... How, our, how we're to live out morally our Christian faith. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. 
Matthew 5, verse 43. Ye have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Do you read that? Yeah? That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. In other words, here's an indication that we really have got the life of God with us, working through us. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. You see the standard, the moral standard. Now you and I cannot be perfect in all these things yet, can we? Otherwise you'd be in heaven. <laughs> but you and I should be much more further on in these areas than we were five years ago. Do you see what I mean? There should be some evidence that the life of the Lord Jesus is being lived through me. And then we go on to um, just to think for a moment about this matter of, of virtue. You know, it does mention virtue a bit uh, previously in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and I read it just a moment ago. Verse 3, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. If you're born again of the Spirit of God, God has called you to virtue, to excellence. We're actually declare the excellences of him that has called us out of darkness, it says in 2 Peter. And that is the same phrase, that's the same Greek word, excellences, for virtue. So the first thing on our list that we need to consider is this. Are we morally upright? Are we living the right way? Have we a moral compass? You see, we live in a generation, friends, where the moral compass is out the window, isn't it? Anything goes. That's the generation we live in, isn't it? Anything goes. Doesn't matter how you live. Doesn't matter what kind of morality you've got. As long as you are happy with your morality, that's fine. But that's not what the Word of God says. And the Word of God says that we must, we must have virtue, moral excellence. Do you know, I think this is so important. I think, imagine if we've accidentally taken something from somebody else. Do we keep it to ourselves or do we give it back? I had accidentally, not accidentally, but without due diligence, given Joseph's Bible back to him <laughs> until this morning. I'm glad, I'd, I'm glad I gave it back to you before this message, brother. <laughs> I'd have his Bible on my shelf, and I think I've got to get that to Joseph, and the next Sunday would pass. And thank God he's got a new Bible, because otherwise there'd really be trouble, wouldn't there? But this is an old Bible, and I had it on my shelf. I must give that back to Joseph, and then the next Sunday would pass. While I'm holding on to that Bible, I'm not being morally upright if I'm meant to give it back. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm absolutely serious about this. You know, this is, there's Christians that will fiddle their taxes. You say, oh, that's just nothing. That's just a world. The standard of a Christian should be the standard higher than the world. Higher. We have the life of Jesus in us, Surely. 
we should have the attitude of Zacchaeus. That he said, if I've stolen anything, I'm not just going to give it back, I'll give it four times back as much. That's the heart of somebody who's really been dealt with by the Lord. Do you see what I mean? The moral excellence is coming in. May the Lord help every one of us to really learn this matter of moral excellence. And if I've done a wrong turn to someone, may God help me to put it right. Husbands and wives, there's wrong done to one another. It needs to be put right. This is the Christian life. The Christian life isn't a free ticket for me to live how I want and get to heaven. But this is almost subtly the kind of gospel that's being preached today. No, the gospel is so much better than that. The gospel is I can be freed from my godless behavior. And I can become somebody who's pure. I can become somebody who's lovely when once I wasn't lovely. I can become somebody who's clean when at once I wasn't clean. And the cleaning up act, the sanctifying work of the Spirit of God in me is proof that God is in me by His Spirit. And I'm making by means of my applying myself to the Spirit's work in me, my calling and election sure. Very well. Virtue is the first thing on our list. Let's move on, dear brothers and sisters, because otherwise you won't get any lunch. Okay. And uh, we don't want that. Um, but we're coming to self-control in a little bit, so hopefully I'll be able to bring a bit of restraint on your stomachs. Right, okay. Add to virtue, knowledge. Knowledge is the second thing mentioned in this particular list. Add to your faith virtue and to virtue, knowledge. Don't you find it interesting, please hear me on this, that knowledge comes after virtue. You would have thought knowledge would be the first thing. You've got to get to know the Lord. That's the first thing we would say to people, wouldn't it? Add to your faith knowledge. Make sure you get the word of God in you. Build up your knowledge. Get all the commentaries that are out there. The best Bible study notes. This, isn't it? Add to your knowledge. Boom, 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 boom. Oh, dear friends, I want to tell you, there's a, almost a danger if a young Christian gets a lot of knowledge too quickly, you can find they're becoming puffed up <laughs> and thinking they know a lot because they have a lot of theoretical knowledge about Jesus, but none of it that's been worked out in the life. It's a big danger. But think about this. Add to your faith virtue first. Why? Because you have, if you have knowledge without virtue, you can use your knowledge to destroy others. Because there's no moral excellence about you. Do you see what I mean? Well, what a danger this is, isn't it? Satan has more knowledge about the word of God than you do. But he has no virtue. There are preachers that know the word of God quite well. And they use their knowledge to twist the scriptures. So that people give money into their ministry. <clears throat> and they rob the poor while lying in their pockets with the knowledge of the word of God. But they have no virtue, no moral excellence. <laughs> but even us, on a one-to-one -one basis, we can use our knowledge to argue with people, can't we? You and I might get together after service, and we have a different view on some particular doctrine. So we'd have a ding-dong, you know. Boom, 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 boom. 
And then we sort of think, well, I won that contest because I've got more knowledge. Oh, the folly of it. We can get into arguments and take precious truths of the word of God and treat them as a means of getting one upmanship upon another believer. Why? We have knowledge, but we're not using our knowledge in a virtuous manner. We are to speak the truth in love. <laughs> and there's no way you and I will ever be able to handle knowledge rightly, and knowledge of the Lord rightly, and of the word of God rightly, if there's been no moral excellence put into our lives. We're not here to argue with each other. We can reason with each other. We use the scriptures to bless each other, and that by nature will involve correction of one another. Of course, of course, but if we make our corrections in a loving way, it makes it all the more easier for our opponent to receive what we have said. Do you see what I'm saying? But none of that will be there, that tenderness, that winsomeness, that loveliness about the way we handle our differences unless God works a bit of that virtue in first. And I see it in my own life. And all of us, we need brothers and... No, I don't see it in all of you. I see it in my own life. But I'm sure in all of us, we need to ask the Lord to help us to have this moral excellence so that we handle knowledge rightly. So virtue first, then knowledge. But then let me say this. Knowledge is vital. Knowledge is vital. There's a verse in the book of Isaiah that makes this so clear. Isaiah chapter 5. Please, Isaiah chapter 5. I think it is. And uh, I think it's verse 13. Yes. Verse 13. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 13. And it says this. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. Now, isn't that something of a word for today? <laughs> Why is it that so many of us go into a kind of captivity. It's because we don't know the ways of God. And people think at times in the past they've been going into blessing when they've been going into captivity. It happens so much, dear friends. What's going to keep you from falling prey to captivity? It's the knowledge of the word of God. It's the truth that makes you free. And as you obey the word of God, it will deliver you from falling prey to captivity. And this is what happens here. These people have found themselves in captivity. They are gone into it. And friends, you know, there's, we, we, if we think that sin, as it were, is something permissible for us, and we can live in it as we will and may, um, because we're under the grace of God, that will ultimately lead to a captivity. Sin always does. It never liberates. It always brings people into misery and bondage and strife. It's only as you know the knowledge of the word of God, however hard and difficult it is for your flesh to take and my flesh to take, if we obey the word of God, although it may appear to the natural man that it brings us into a straitjacket, we'll find we'll come into a straitjacket and we'll find ourselves in the greatest liberty we've ever experienced. This is what happens when, the Lord, when we go the Lord's way. 
But we need the knowledge of his word. We need to know his ways. And friends, we live in a generation where we have abandoned the ancient paths, haven't we? We've gone away from the old ways. We have our new ways now. We have Gnosticism coming, all kinds of things coming into the house of God now. Experimental things all over the place. And people fall prey to false and bogus experiences. And you wonder at times what people are connecting with spiritually in the name of Christianity. They're falling prey. Why? For lack of knowledge. While the leaders say it's okay for you to experience this, just empty your mind. Friends, never empty your mind. Never accept any preacher telling you to do that. You must never empty your mind. You must always fill it. If you empty your mind, you become a prey and to possible interference of demonic spirits. You must not do that. That is the way of Eastern mysticism. But mysticism is coming into the church. The emergent church movement, all of that. <clears throat> young people have fallen prey to it. Even some young people who had a heart perhaps to know God have gone into this because their leaders have told them to go into this. And it's because they have no knowledge. They fall into a captivity. Deceiving spirits are at work. Do you know what spirit something is off? You know, all these things. We need knowledge, don't we? Unless somebody can bring biblical reasoning into experience, you have to test that. Brothers and sisters, my people go into captivity. There's so many believers, people who even think they're saved when they're not. Because they've been taught you don't need to repent. Just come to Jesus as you are. He'll love you as you are. And they come in and they never repent. They just join the church and they keep learning the songs. And they hear the preaching and they agree with the preaching. But there's no repentance. They've never actually seen the weight of their iniquity before God. And there's a new door almost subtly opening up for people to come and be part of church but not be born again. Well, that's even worse. But here it's speaking about even the people of God going into captivity. They are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge and their honorable men are famished. And their multitude dried up with thirst. Friends, aren't we in such a position as this this morning? Very often, not us generally. I'm, taught, I'm, I'm speaking just generally as a, in our nation. There's such a times of dryness. We need the Lord, don't we? To cause us to come back to a knowledge of his ways. There's an even more piercing scripture in the book of Hosea. If you turn to Hosea, please. The book of Hosea. And chapter 4 and verse 6. This isn't saying about my people are in captivity for lack of knowledge. But in verse 6 it says, my people are destroyed. Destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. As they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore, I, therefore will I change their glory into shame. Now notice this. The, 
The, the fact was that the people had forgotten the law of their God. And when we have a Christianity where we don't abide by the word of God, we go into captivity. It could ultimately be a destruction to us. May the Lord deliver us from this kind of lack of knowledge. You say, well, how do we gain knowledge? We gain knowledge primarily by meditating and reading through the word of God. And the wonderful thing is, dear friends, that the Lord is able to teach you his ways by his spirit, the spirit of truth that now dwells in those who believe. And friends, if we hunger and thirst after the Lord, he will fill us. He will show us what is right. He will show us what is spurious. He will reveal it to us by his spirit. But we need to grow in this knowledge of God. And as we come into more with God, and more of an understanding of the word of God and the knowledge of his word, we will be showing ourselves as those who are called an elect of God because we will be, there will be increase. The Greek word is gnosis. It speaks of a knowing. It's not a theoretical knowledge. It's not simply how many commentaries can you get through in a year on the Bible. It's speaking about an experiential knowledge of knowing God in his word by the Holy Spirit opening the word to you. That's the kind of experience we need. That's the kind of knowledge we need. Not just a head knowledge, not just a knowledge we can accumulate by means of going to a seminary, but the kind of knowledge we receive by going to God and by His Spirit opening the Scriptures to us. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. He prays that they might have the Spirit of wisdom and revelation in the what? In the knowledge. So what do you need if you're going to have the knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ? You need the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The book is shut to the natural eye. And you need the Holy Spirit to open it to you. But here we see the mark of a true Christian again. Because if the word is opening up to you and the Lord's revealing spiritual truth to you through the scriptures, it's showing that there is a work of the Spirit in you. you are, the Scriptures are opening up to you. This is proof, this is an evidence that you're called an elect of God. The Word is real to you. It's not a closed book or an academic exercise when you study the Word. It's a living book. This is, again, evidence that we've been born again of the Spirit of God. But this is the knowledge we need. Now, let's just quickly move on back into... Uh, Peter, again, let's move on to the next particular um, grace that's mentioned. Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance. Now, a, another translation for temperance is self-control. This is another evidence that you and I have been called an elect of God. If you're somebody that flies off the handle and you have no control over your tongue, no control over your anger, you're just, there's no self-control whatsoever, you have no rule over your own spirit, then we need to examine ourselves saying, am I really born again of the Spirit of God? Because a hallmark that I've been born again of the Spirit of God, that I'm called an elect of God, is that there is a measure of self-control in my life. Where before there wasn't self-control. For example, think of the person who likes to go out drinking. 
They just get drunk every other Saturday evening. When they come to Christ, they have the self-control not to go there. When somebody is in your face and aggressive towards you in some way, you would once face off to them and you know, give them a good run for their money, but now you're born again of the Spirit of God. You don't simply lose your rag in the way you used to. The anger's been dealt with. It may take a period of time for the anger to be dealt with, but it's being dealt with. It's going. It's not got that hold over you that it once had. You say, do you mean you've got to do these things to get saved? No. I'm saying this will be the proof that you've been saved. That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying you do these things to find favor with God. I'm saying you do these things to prove that you've already found favor with God. It's the outworking of what God has worked in. It's the evidence of what God has already initiated in your life. Now, this work of temperance is something that is central to even the theme of the gospel. Did you know that? You say, no, I didn't. Where does it say that? Well, it says that in Acts chapter 24. So, Acts chapter 24 and verse 25. This is Paul when it's before Felix. Verse 24. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ, in the Messiah. Then it says in verse 25, and as he reasoned of what? Righteousness. Secondly, what? Self-control. And thirdly? Now, let me ask you something. Is that the gospel we preach today? God loves you as you are. Just come to the front. Just receive. Just receive. Just. This is the kind of gospel teaching that we're keen, but examine the scriptures, friends. Don't take my word for it. It doesn't seem to me that that's the kind of teaching of the word of God, does it? Or am I just reading it wrong every time I read through the word? <laughs> what does the scriptures say here? It says in the scriptures, in verse 25, he reasoned of righteousness. Ooh. You can stand for peace in the world today and the world will love you. You can stand for love today in the world and the world will love you. The moment you stand for righteousness, you'll find it suddenly has got a different, it's a different animal. The moment you stand for righteousness and purity and live in the right way, you'll find the world, I hate you. But if you stand for global peace, you know, just love one another, man, you know, that kind of attitude... Well, I don't find that anywhere in the scriptures. And as he reasoned of righteousness. Now, he's talking to a leader here. I mean, if I was Paul, I'd be a little bit anxious about this. I realize that my life is in this man's hands and I'd dumb it down a little bit in myself. But he's dealing of righteousness, of temperance, self-control. Or oh, wouldn't it be good if we got a bit of that into our gospel preaching today? We've got to stop living the way we're living. You know. Start preaching to people. We need to turn from our immorality. That's speaking about self-control, isn't it? 
and judgment to come. Oh, look what it says next. Felix trembled. <laughs> do you know that's what the gospel should make the sinner do? The gospel should make the sinner tremble. He should shake. She should shake. You read the, early, you read the accounts of Leonard Ravenhill in his early days. When he was amongst the revival meetings that were going on. The work of the Spirit of God that was going on. And he mentions the kind of gospel meetings that would take place. With people like William Booth. You know, founder of the Salvation Army. The counts go like this. As he would be preaching the gospel, people would be sitting in the back rows so nervous and petrified they would be ripping up the hymn books. Just like this. Because they're petrified. And then the call would come. Come to the altar and get saved. People would run. We have robbed people of that experience of coming under genuine conviction of sin because we're more concerned with having numbers in our churches than souls saved from hell. Shame on us. It's such an indictment. Paul was giving Felix all the opportunity. You know it's loving to tell people they need to repent. You're considered an ogre if you do this. But if the truth is spoken in love, I want somebody to come under such conviction of sin before they're saved that when they come to the new birth, it's the sweetest experience in all the world. If somebody's genuinely born again of the Spirit of God and they have a right birth, wow, they're likely to stay the course, aren't they? Well, I think we need something of this teaching back in our preaching, but not just in the preaching outside, but in our own lives, dear friends. You can't preach to people about self-control if you haven't got any. They just look straight through the hypocrisy. What does it say in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 23? It's the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, Against such there is no law. Temperance, self-control. Do you know the best way to judge how self-controlled you are is to examine what you've been like in the last three months in your own home. <laughs> That's the evidence of how self-controlled we are. Now you say to me, I can't live up to this. Listen. It's the Spirit of God in you that can live up to this. Is God so unable to get hold of you and change you? He's changed people that are far more difficult than you are. And he's brought them to heights that you and I have never reached. It's the same Spirit that works in us, that has worked in them. Think of Saul of Tarsus, prime example. The Lord got hold of him, changed him, and the work of the Spirit in him. Enabled him to live a way he couldn't live before. Self-control. I think this is something that we desperately need within the house of God, isn't it? Are we good at controlling our tongue? Are we good at controlling our attitudes? Are we good at being diligent over the way we conduct ourselves generally? It's a challenge, but it's an evidence that we're called an elect of God. Let's move on. Patience. Patience. 
is the next one on the list, isn't it? Are you not sure? Oh, well done. Somebody's with me. Well done. My two Peter seems to have... There we are. I lost it for a minute. Right, so we are to add to our faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience. This word patience or endurance means a remaining under. A remaining under. An abiding under. Continuing under. Add to your faith endurance, a remaining under. This is something we need to learn to do, isn't it, dear brothers and sisters? The word of God says in Luke chapter 21, verse 9, by your patience possess your souls. We are need to be those that continue in the work of God. And it's his power in us that enables us to. And the Lord knows how to bring us through to that place where we have endurance and patience worked into our lives. You read about this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 3. Romans chapter 5 and verse 3. Just read this to you. Romans 5 and verse 3. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh endurance or patience, and patience experience and experience hope. So the first thing I want us to note is that this patience that's required to be worked into our lives is worked into our lives by tribulation. Somebody came to a great preacher and said, I want patience in my life. I'm not a patient person. I'm so impatient. I'm, I'm, I, I, just, I just can't cope with it. Can you pray with me for patience? So they sat down together and the Bible teacher said, okay, I'll pray for you for patience. And he prayed this way. Lord, would you bring tribulation into my sister's life? Would you give her trials and difficulties that she just can't handle? And she stopped his prayer and said, what are you doing? I've asked for patience and you're giving me tribulation. And, and he said, yes, but tribulation worketh patience. Be careful you know what you're asking for. But at the same time, this is an evidence that we've been called an elect of God, that patience is worked into our lives. But the Lord knows how to work it into our lives by means of these difficulties coming into action. So when difficulties come your way and the Lord allows them in your life and they're hard and they're difficult, remember the Lord's doing it to prove that there's living faith in you. Blessed be his name. It says the similar thing in James chapter 1 and verse 4. Verse 3, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, various temptations, knowing this, that the proving of your faith, I prefer that, it says trying in my version, but the proving of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. There we have it. The Lord works it into our experience by trials. So that's how we can count trials all joy. Because it's not that we're saying that we're to be stoic about our trials. And that we're to think that our trials are somehow wonderful things when they're not. No, we're to count them as joy. Because we know that that particular trial is working into us the proving of faith being there. 
God is trying to show forth that he's actually put his seed of eternity in our lives. And that we're born of the Spirit of God. We're chosen and elect of God. That's why. So blessed be the Lord's name. There's, there's so many scriptures we could talk about concerning patience. But let me leave you with this one. In Romans chapter 2, verse 7, the scriptures say, to this, say this. To them who by patient continuance in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. There we have it. The, that patience is, continuance is so important in our experience, in every level. In prayer, we need to be patient in prayer. Pray with endurance. Worship the Lord with endurance. There's difficulties the Lord's allowing in your life, but it's to work patience into it. The Lord is allowing the trials in the life of his beloved child of God because he loves you, because he wants to prove that his life is in you, because he cares for you. That's why it's difficult, friend. That's why it's hard. That's why there's problems in the home. That's why there's problems at the work. It's not wasted with God. God has allowed it. He's even initiated in some cases to bring forth that patience that is after in your life. He's the overseer of your soul. He's working this trial unto patience in you. He knows what he's doing. Let him do the full work because ultimately when that patience comes forth, it will bring forth a perfection, a completeness about you. Oh, how good is our great physician. He knows how to deal with us, how to bring us through. Well, let's move on from this. On from patience. And on to the next one. Godliness. Okay, we're nearly there. The word godly means to be devout. Godliness means to be devout. Do you remember what the scriptures say in 1 Timothy chapter 3? It says this. Hang in there with me. Be patient. It says this. Great is the mystery of godliness. Did you hear that? Great is the mystery. The word mystery in the word of God speaks of something that is concealed unto being revealed. And Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 speaks about him being a steward of the mysteries of God. The mystery of God. Great is the mystery of godliness. What is it? God was manifest in the flesh. And he goes on to say various other things afterwards. But the first expression of the mystery of godliness is that God was manifest in the flesh. What is godliness? It's the Lord Jesus in you. Expressed through you. His life. Not you trying to imitate what he might be like. I really can't stand these wristbands. Forgive me if you've got one. You know, this WW, what would Jesus do? No, no, no. I know I sound like an old fuddy-duddy, don't I, at times. It's just not me. I don't start to think there every moment, now what would Jesus do about this? I can ask him. I don't need to say, what would Jesus do? And guess what Jesus would do? I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, Lord, what do I do? That's the key. Not what would Jesus do? His very life is in me by the Spirit of God. Why would I wonder that? No, we need his, his, his life flowing through us. Do you remember what it speaks about John the Baptist? He said, he must increase and I must decrease. Brothers and sisters, that is a must. 
That's a proof that you've been born again of the Spirit of God. His life increases through you as you go on. It's an evidence. It's a proof of your calling and election. 1 Timothy 3.16. There's other verses that encourage us to exercise ourselves to godliness. We're, we, we need to pray that we don't have a form of godliness, but deny its power. We need the power of God. And finally, concerning godliness, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 11, this matter of godliness is essential in relation to the Lord's return. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Holy conversation, that means holy behavior. And godliness. This is what we need, isn't it? This life of the Lord Jesus lived out. <laughs> He's filled with his spirit, not with foolish speech or godless attitudes. Only God can help us, dear friends, can't he? But praise God, he can. There's so much we could say about that. But on to brotherly love. That's the next things mentioned in 2 Peter 1. Add to your godliness brotherly kindness. Brotherly, that speaks of fraternal love. It's mentioned a number of places in scriptures. One is Romans chapter 12 and verse one, 10. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10. Verse 9 says, Let love be without dissimulation. Or unfeigned, in other words, without hypocrisy. Abhor that which is evil. Did you hear that? Cleave to that which is good. Did you hear that? Be kindly affectioned, affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. And then he goes on, not sloth for in business. We need to have this brotherly love. Philadelphia is the Greek word. This love for one another is a proof that we're elect of God, that we're born again of this Spirit of God. We love one another. Do you remember what the Scriptures say? Isn't it in John 13, verse 35? Something like that. It's not on my notes. So I'm guessing, but I did write it down. No, I think I've got it wrong. Have I? No. Where is it? Sorry? It is 35. Yes, thank you. It is right, one. Thank you. Bless you. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Herein is the testimony for the lost world. That's why you never see Christians railing against one another, do you, publicly? Some of the things that I've seen are extraordinary. 
and it doesn't take long to see them. On public view, Christians basically trying to devour one another. And all in the name of being the one who's got everything right. Doctrinally or whatever. Brothers and sisters, can a Christian really before a lost world publicly devour another Christian unto the ruining of the testimony of the house of God? It should not happen. It's happening. It's happening. This is the testimony that we have as a corporate body to the lost world. Do you really think there's love out there? There's hatred out there. Oh, we've had roughly about 150 knifings in London over the last year. The love of many have grown cold in many things. There is a lovelessness. People are losing, you know, children. Parents are just handing them over. There's no love is there. We see the increase of all kinds of godlessness and lovelessness. And when a person begins to see their need for Jesus and they come into the church, what they should see is not simply our love for them. They should see our love for one another. That's the testimony. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. I don't know about you, but this is rather challenging, isn't it? There are times when we have to stand up for righteousness' sake. There's times when we need to speak out. But how we speak publicly before the lost world concerning brothers and sisters within the body, we need to be very careful. Because we don't want to ruin the testimony. Because we don't want people to be outside. They come in and see how one or two, two Christians arguing with each other and then go out saying, well, I don't want to belong to them. Do you see what I mean? We need to have that deep love for one another. Now, love doesn't wink at sin. Don't get me wrong. But love always seeks to bring the other one out of any wrongdoing that they're in with a disposition that's pleasing. Do you understand what I mean? Brotherly love. 1 Peter 1.22. Okay, we're getting to the end. Real long message today. And you're going to love me after this message because I've told you to. <laughs> See, I'm being so good to you, teaching you patience, making you sit there, aren't I? 1 Peter 1, Peter 1 22. Okay. It's all right, you can, throw, you can throw a few tomatoes at me if you like. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart, lukewarmly. Oh, sorry, I did. Misread that, didn't I? See that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently. Right, okay, good. That's woken some of you up, hasn't it? Fervently. It's not about, well, I put up with her. She's a bit of a pain. But I'll love her. Because I have to. It says so in the Bible. I'll say hello. And I'll say goodbye. I'll be civil. Because the Bible tells me to. That kind of Christianity is a hoax. Amen? Amen. Oh, good. Excellent. 
True Christianity is we love one another fervently. Can you say that word? Fervently. And, oh, good, that means you're still awake. Okay. So this is the kind of love we need to be able to have one another. My dear friends, imagine if we did this. Imagine if we practically love one another fervently and the unbeliever comes in. They're going to say in their heart, these people have something with each other that I need. Especially somebody on their own. Well, I put that challenge to us. Love one another fervently. I'm not going to stay on brotherly love too long because uh, I ran out of time about half an hour ago. And besides, my sheets run out. Um, okay, finally, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse... <clears throat> what is it? 7, thank you. Right. I'm in the first letter of Peter. I wonder I'm struggling. Right. So we're to add brotherly kindness, fervently. And to brotherly kindness, charity. What does charity mean? Unfortunately, it's a word that's come to mean something other than it actually originally meant. Today it means putting 10p in a pot, you know, for some kind of favorite charity you have. But it speaks of outgoing love, doesn't it? We're to have that brotherly affection for one another, that joy, that love for being together, but also that charity whereby we work for one another. We help one another out and we love one another. Think, finally, somebody mentioned this passage of Scripture. I think it was Stella earlier today. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it speaks about the nature of love, doesn't it? Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Anybody want to become like that? And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, did you hear that? And have not charity, I am nothing. Well, this is a big challenge then. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, oh dear, we need to be careful of merely preaching a kind of social gospel. You know, the idea of we give, money, give food to the poor, we don't tell them about Jesus, but just do nice things for them. Well, there is a place for that, but ultimately it's got to be to bring them to the gospel because we love them. And though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profiteth me nothing. So what is the nature of love? Love suffereth long, we've talked about that, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, does not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Oh dear, this is rather hard. How are you doing? Thinking no evil. Oh dear, I found us all out now. Rejoicing not in iniquity, but rejoicing in the truth. Love, listen, what it does, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Charity never faileth, but where there be prophecies, they shall fail. Where there be tongues, they shall cease. Where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. Shall be done away, rather. Now, verse 13, and now abide faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity, love. Love is almost like the crowning jewel in this whole list. You and I, dear brothers and sisters, 
need to have the kind of love of the Lord in our lives for people that we couldn't love naturally. Only the Lord can do it. So, these are the seven qualities. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that you should be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacks these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Has God called you? Has God elected you? You can, by the grace of God, through the Spirit, see these qualities wrought in your life through faith. May it be that these qualities abound and increase, that there's not one person in this hall that doesn't one day have an abundant entrance into heaven. May the Lord help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we've had such a long message today.